Hello, welcome to another episode of the Rich and Big Footy Tiger Cast. I'm your host, Michaels, and with me tonight we have a very special guest. He played 63 games, kicked 39 goals across three clubs, and established sports management company Flying Start in 1994. Ricky Nixon, welcome to you. How are you, Chris? You must be a happy man. Very happy man. Um, I must say, I didn't expect to get the win, to be honest. I thought Adelaide were definitely the team to beat all year, but uh, no, the boys played really well. Well, look, you know, I think the last two years have shown that uh, you've just got to get momentum at the right time, and they certainly did. And, you know, they got belief and confidence, and there's no doubt the crowd was a bit of a factor as well. Yeah, I mean, the Bulldogs, I guess, showed that last year as well. They played their best football in September. So um, it was probably just more how comprehensive it was across the three finals games that kind of shocked me. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I actually thought that uh, I was probably the only football expert back in March who tipped the Tigers to finish top six. And uh, that was on the basis of, I felt that, you know, I study what players are doing and where they're coming from other clubs and what they have to achieve and things like that. And I knew that Caddy and Prestia would be massive additions to Richmond because it would free up Martin and Cochin. And without being a smarty pants about it, you know, those two had their best years ever. I, even better, I thought Cochin was better than the year he won the Brownlow. Yeah, agree. And I think um, even a lot of Richmond fans kind of got caught up with the fact that Prestia and Caddy may not have been getting 30 touches every week, but like you said, their job was literally to free up Koch and Martin to do what they do best, and it paid dividends. Absolutely. I mean, Dustin didn't have to be that sort of 30 to 40 possession midfielder who runs all day because he's not capable of that. He could go forward and be a power player. Not dissimilar to Dangerfield, I suppose, but uh, unfortunately Geelong didn't have the luxury of having the backup that Richmond had. Yeah, but having said that, when Danger did go forward, even when he copped that injury, um, he was unbelievable. So I think if they had the option, they would definitely do it more often. Yeah, I think Dustin's a bit more powerful through the midfield or that dangerous half-forward area. Um, certainly overhead, Danger feels a bit better than Dustin, but uh, they're two fantastic players. It's not probably fair to compare them, to be honest. No, I think we're lucky just to be able to watch them all on a weekly basis. All right, well, we'll start even with your playing career. So, 63 games across three different clubs. Was it frustrating getting limited opportunities across the, the journey? Oh, look, it's, without wanting to make excuses, I think so. the AFL told me I missed 223 games through injury. I mean, I actually played for 11 years, so you must have some ability. I'm the, I'm the second longest serving player. Sorry, this, the player who's played more than a decade, I've played the second least amount of games. Uh, the only person who played less than me was Luke O'Sullivan at, at Carlton, who played 61 games or something like that. So, um, you know, I was injured a lot, and that had a lot to do with playing in the 80s, mainly early 90s, when I was 69 kilos when I played my first game. Just a skinny little prick from Bendigo. And, um, you know, if I played now, I was a... I was a junior little athletics champion. You know, probably I'd be a better player and probably wouldn't get as injured with, with the sort of training you have now and medical help and things like that. And the the move to St Kilda, I think you had your, I suppose, longest stint there. You played 51 games. Um, and then that kind of ended with... The, was it a contractual dispute that ended that when you were trying to go to the Hawks? What happened there? Oh, I was sort of at the stage where I was... A, I had a great job at Kerry Grammar, private school in Q2 in Phys Ed. You know, that was my, my boyhood dream, I suppose. Um, Carlton Footy Club got me that early days. Um, and I was at the stage where the injuries got... You know, I remember I was playing a game at um, South Melbourne and walking home to Carlton in the rain because I'd been injured again and I was going to miss another four weeks. And I just walked home thinking, I just can't do this anymore. You know, play play one game, miss four. Play another game, miss six. Uh, miss a whole season with a knee reconstruction. Things like that. It just got to the stage where it was very, very frustrating. And, you know, I'm not the only player... Um, you know, at the end of the day, I was lucky enough to play one game, I suppose. 
Yeah, but I can understand the frustration, especially when footy's your passion and you've trained all your life to, to get to that stage and then just can't get that consistently down the park. One of the things that like people sort of laugh about, I suppose, is when they say, how did you uh, become the agent? How did you get all these players? I said, very simply, I played at three clubs very badly, but it meant that I didn't have access to 50 players. I had access to 150 when I became a sports agent. So <laughs> there has to be some upside to it all, I suppose. Um, and speaking, just backtracking to your playing football, I read you play, you play, played a game this year, didn't you? And you got injured again. Yeah, well, I played last year. I played one game at stupid, not stupidly, in all honesty. Um, you know, it's been a long road back for me because, you know, when you uh, make a mistake, like everybody's made mistakes, but unfortunately, if you're in the AFL world, you get a lifetime penalty. And, you know, I've, I've had to work hard to get back, and I've put a lot of time into community work and my own health and more of a small. Uh, I suppose into my two sons and my ex-wife who's been brilliant to me she's helped me all the way through always supported me never asked me what I did wrong just said Ricky we've all made mistakes it's what you do about it that counts and I'll never forget that and um, you know I've had to work hard to get back and I played a game last year at Mount Waverley um, because I just wanted to prove to my sons that their dad was back and then stupidly agreed when Daniel Kerr couldn't play a game this year down at um, uh, Warrnambool I agreed to play another game and in the first one minute, the ball came down and this big ruckman had it at his feet. And I thought, I'd better just dive at the ball just to make it look like I'm having a crack. And he fell at the exact same time and landed on my shoulder and dislocated it just about down to my elbow. And <laughs> I've never been in more pain in my life. And I was very lucky. I went to the emergency section. They said, Ricky, one of two things are going to happen. We're going to knock you out for 10 minutes. It's either going to pop straight back in and be good as gold or you're going to have a shocking shoulder for the rest of your life when it just miraculously popped back in. Wow. Did, you, did your son still respect the fact you dove in on the ball and caught the injury? <laughs> I must admit, my son, Mitch, is the youngest. He's 21. He, he, uh, he's a good little footballer. And he's, uh, Dad, time to give it away, son. He goes, there's no reason your shoulder popped out, and that is you have got, got one muscle around that shoulder whatsoever. I said, gee, thanks for the vote of confidence. <laughs> oh, at least you're out there having a crack, though. Yeah, that's right. I mean, look, at the end of the day, I'll do it again next year. Because I, I see it as that. It's just out. I'm not out there to prove I can still play football or something. I'm, you know, I guess I'm fairly lucky because I'm genetically still very athletic. And I'm, I mean, I've never had a cold in my life, but I get a lot of injuries, I suppose, because my body is skinny and athletic. So if you can get out and do it, why not? Yeah, exactly right. So you established Flying Start back in 94. What made you decide to get into sports management? Uh, I'll cut a long story short here, but two things were pivotal in my start. One was... I was working with a girl, Michelle Baumgartner, who was an Olympic athlete, um, and she had a succession of managers. This is when I was PE teaching at Cary Grammar, and she kept coming to work going, oh, you know, this guy's promised me a Mercedes-Benz on Monday, and he's going to sponsor me, and it never happened, and this happened, you know, all the time for a year. And I said, it can't be that hard management. It really can't be. Um, and the what a lot of people don't know is um, the AFL, of all people, Jeff Brown, who was the legal advisor at the time, he went on to be CEO of Channel 9, he called me into a meeting with Ross Oakley. Ironically, Ross sees me every day now for coffee in Bay Street, Port Melbourne, and um, said, we don't want to work against you. We think that someone who's played the game is great for the game. We know that agents are going to become big because it's big in America. We're going to send you to America and set you up for meetings with the NFL, the baseball, the basketball, etc. So I went to America, um, paid for my own trip, but they set up all these meetings for me. And to be honest, if they hadn't done that, if Ross and... Um, Jeff hadn't done that. I doubt I would have even got into player management. I came back with all these ideas. The primary idea that put me on the map was I saw a thing called the quarterback club. And what it was was the 10 best best quarterbacks in the NFL were in this marketing group together. And I thought, hey, 
wow, why doesn't someone do that in Australia with Ablett, Carey, Dunstall, Lockett? And when I came back, um, I was lucky enough to put that together and that put me on the map. So before, I suppose before you knew of those pathways that were going to open up in America, was there any nerves about, was this going to be successful? Um, look, uh, the other big pivotal thing, probably there was three things. The other big pivotal thing was I was teaching a Kerry grammar and three of the parents there were a guy called Jack Elliott, John Elliott, Carlton president, Colin Carter, who was on the AFL commission at the time, but is now the Geelong president, and Ron Evans, who sadly passed away, um, who was the head of the AFL commission. I sent them a letter, and uh, which you did in those days, no such thing as email, um, saying, could you give me some advice? Um, now, I can't remember the exact order, but I think it was Colin said, stick to teaching, mate. It's a secure job. Ron said, look, mate, I, I reckon you should have a go. And I got a letter back from John Elliott, and I'll never forget it. So, mate, follow your dreams. Um, I'm going to send you to America to a business course. It costs 10 grand. If you haven't got the 10, I'll pay for you. And I went, wow. So that sort of just gave me the confidence to go and do it. And then Jeff Lord, who was the president of Hawthorne, gave me office space for 12 months but no cost. And, you know, I'm forever grateful for the opportunity. And that opportunity all came because of football. Oh, it's, it's good to hear that they're sort of giving back to, you know, players who are in the game as well. So when you come back and you sort of set yourself up, who was the first player you approached and signed up and how did it all come about? Well, the first player was someone that most people probably wouldn't know or remember, a guy called Mick Dwyer at um, St Kilda. Uh, then we signed up sort of four or five uh, St Kilda players. And what happened was a lady from Sydney called me, um, saying she did a calendar on the NRL players um, called Men of All Seasons and could I arrange AFL players to do it. So I arranged for Dermot Brent. I was at Hawthorne at this stage, um, Dermot Brent to do it, and um, I can't even remember who half the other players were, but there was a young bloke called Wayne Carey who uh, hadn't played much football at that stage, and I'll never forget he was on a diving board out at Carey Grammar in his Speedos boasting about how he's going to be the greatest player of all time and me going, God, this kid just driving me mad. And his brother saying, I'm telling you, he'll be the greatest player of all time. I'm going, yeah, as long as my ass points to the ground, he won't be. I might have got that one wrong, but anyway. Wayne, <laughs> you know, has been a terrific friend and great client. And, you know, people can talk about dramas off field, but at the end of the day, my job was to manage his footy career. And how long into it was it until there was a competitor for you in terms of player management? Well, there was a competitor from day dot because what happened was when I came back, you know, the AFL had sent me to America. I came back and it was... Um, I created Club 10 and the AFL said, sent me a letter saying, look, we want to meet with you. Um, we want to own 50% of it, but you can't own the intellectual property rights. We, we have to own it all. And I must admit now in hindsight and my education on all of that, I could have owned 50% of this for my whole life. would have been a good retirement fund. But I saw the thought by them saying they wanted the intellectual property rights. They were trying to steal the whole concept off me. So I told them to go and get stuffed. And what that did was they then... Um, got a guy called Craig Kelly, the ex-Collingwood Premiership player, um, in and set him up financially and with a, a group called Pro Squad to compete against Club 10 and they funded him to compete against me. In the end, uh, that fell over, they fell over because they had perhaps what you'd say the secondary players, I had all the big ones and in the end they came to me and offered me um, three million bucks over three years to to keep... Um, uh, or to sorry, have Club 10 aligned with the AFL, but uh, I owned it all the way through. And was it easy to sell your brand to potential clients? So what, what was your point of difference uh, to secure the big names? Uh, people think, you know, always say, oh, you're a guru, you come with Club 10, but I don't think I was. I just sort of like I saw it in America. When I came back, it was the year was 1995. Um, there was a company called Optus that owned the AFL TV rights. 
Foxtel existed, but they didn't have it. I got this phone call from Brian Walsh, the head of Foxtel, who said, mate, we love your idea of Club 10. Um, we want to sponsor you for 100 grand a year to um, sell Foxtel. So I had the AFL players, the big names, branded in Foxtel, which the AFL hated. And the, it actually made the people, the public, think that Foxtel owned the AFL rights, but they didn't. And then after, not long after that, I actually helped to succeed to negotiate the AFL rights to Foxtel. And to this day, they've had them since that day. And that, that was a pivotal deal. I had Telstra come to me. Um, all the big companies were all just knocking my door down. It was it was like amazing times. I was probably working 18 to 20 hour days just, just on sheer adrenaline. Um, and, you know, my wife would always be saying, come to bed. And I'm like, I'd get up and answer my phone at all hours and, it was, just, it, was just, it was just really an exciting time, and it disappoints me now that in the last decade, you don't see any great marketing ideas of players. I think it's a fantastic opportunity for Dustin Martin in the next few years because we've finally got a player with a bit of character, someone that the company should get around, and I'm sure you'd agree. He's, he's, he's probably the most um, liked universally player that's played in the game, I reckon. Yeah, I think you're right because... Like you would know, there's a lot of robotic, just generic answers these days from footballers, but Dusty will just call it how it is, and he'll have a bit of a laugh along the way, kind of similar to Dane Swan, and everyone loved watching him as well. Yeah, definitely, and you know, Dustin's uh, come a long way in the last few years, and I'll be careful what I say, because I know this guy I'm about to mention doesn't like to be spoken about publicly, but Michael Gardner, the West Coast Eagles Saints player, what he's done for Dusty, cancelling him, guiding him, seeing him three or four times a week, Getting him associated with his kids and playing with his kids has kept him away from a few dramas that he could have gone down certain tracks with, and his footy career has blossomed. Mark Williams is another one, um, was assistant coach at Richmond for two or three years who worked very hard, and no, these guys don't get the credit they deserve, that's for sure. Ralph Carr's been great as well on the management side, but those two need to get a pat on the back as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you obviously looked after some pretty high-profiled players. Did you feel much pressure looking after them? No, I mean, to me, it was uh, just a job. I mean, people say, you know, the Wayne Carey thing, how did you feel when that happened? And I said, well, you've got to realise, I didn't go out to the front lawn and pick up the Herald Sun and go, oh, my God, what's he done? You know, you're sort of involved in the moment the whole time. I mean, it was a very testing time. I'll never forget the CEO of Manchester United came from, flew from Singapore to visit me the same day the Wayne Carey story broke. And he was in reception for... Um, like four hours waiting to see me by the media and that were out the front and you're saying to the receptionist, now what's taking so long? <laughs> the receptionist is saying like, it's like Wayne Rooney's just left with a coach's wife sort of thing and um, he's going, oh wow. Anyway, he became a very good friend of mine and he um, he still st- speaks to me today about the day the Wayne Carey story broke. So look, you know, Gary Ablett had his moments, uh, you know, um, there's been plenty of incidents that didn't get publicity too that were probably just as big, but just sometimes it comes down to, you look at Ben Cousins, he walks out on a freeway with a stop sign that gets all the publicity and all that because it's in public and people see it. But I can tell you what, there's a hell of a lot of other players have done things they just haven't been seen. Yeah, exactly right. On the uh, on the Wayne Carey one, how long did you know before it broke and, and what kind of steps did you have to take as a manager to protect him, I guess? Um, I'd been told after a, a Saturday night party that something had happened, there was an incident, and... Um, that people had been questioning him for a while. Um, and I put it, it's, I wouldn't say it came from any great idea, but I came up with this concept of never asking a player what they're doing. Always say, 
I'm going to give you 90 seconds or a day to think about it. If you lie to me, this is what's going to happen. You're at the top of the pyramid, and underneath you is your mother, father, sister, brother, wife, kids, football supporters, teammates, coaches. If you lie to me, this is what's going to happen. And then I just leave them, in, leave them to think about it. And it worked not probably 100% of the time, from being cousins to Gary up to Wayne Kerry, they always told me the truth. So I rang Wayne on the Sunday night. I said, look, this is what I've been told. Um, I'm not going to ask you if it's true, but I am. I want you to ring me at 9 o'clock tomorrow and tell me. And I must admit, I didn't sleep too well that night. And at exactly 9 o'clock the next morning, he rang me. I won't say what he said. It was actually, I thought it was a bit funny, to be honest. But um, it, it was basically an admittance of, of uh, what happened. And, of course, you know, Wayne gets all the... the um, blame and everything else but there was two parties involved who let their families down and he, he was just one of them and it is good to see he sort of bounced back from all that as well so with his work in the media now yeah, absolutely and you know he wouldn't like me talking about it and I, just as I don't like people bringing up my past but at the end of the day it's happened and you've got to live with it and deal with it so yes he has done a great job I think he's, he's a fantastic commentator I mean, to hear his insight into the game, I think, is second to none, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, he's fascinating to listen to. Um, the other point I want to ask about uh, from a deal perspective was Tony Lockett. So it's been reported, there was, uh, I think there was a news interview with Stephen Quartermain saying that Lockett was coming to Richmond, and then all of a sudden, something happened that stopped that from going through. What went on, do you know? Yeah, well, look, uh, I, Tony was in Club 10 and that, but I didn't do his football contract, um, and but I do recall that Richmond and um, Collingwood, too, he was going to. And they fell over, I think, basically to do with um, uh, what he'd been promised um, couldn't be delivered, I gather. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't probably happen these days, to be honest. Um, but back in those days, a lot of it was about just being um, transferred and, and money and guarantees. But now with the, the richest of clubs and supporters and networks, it's a lot different. Fair enough. Um, and you're always very innovative with the way you handled your clients. What kind of things did you do to make you know that, that extra money for your players that made it more attractive for them to be with you? Well, probably two of my most famous deals were um, Wayne Carey in the year 2000 was like the biggest getting home in the game and, you know, two premierships as captain. And um, we wanted a million dollars. And when you think about Dustin Martin's getting $1.2 million in 2018, 18 years after Wayne Carey got a million dollars, you can't tell me the Players Association is doing a good job. Um, what happened was Greg Miller, the CEO of North Melbourne, said, look, we're happy to pay a million, but we can only afford 600 in our salary cap. We're already at the absolute limit. I said, that's fine. So what I did was I registered Wayne Carey promotions for $2, sorry, sold Wayne Carey's intellectual property to Wayne Carey Promotions for $2, who then licensed it to Flying Start, my company, um, un- exclusively. I then sold his intellectual property to North Melbourne for 400000 There was nothing the AFL could do about it. It was quite within the rules. It wasn't cheating the salary cap. The 400000 came to me. Wayne um, Wayne was then paid out 380000 I kept 20000 of it. And when he argued about that was more than 3%, I said, Wayne, I did the deal, mate. You just worry about it. i just got to get a new BMW. You keep the money. And <laughs> uh, the other big deal, which I thought was quite creative, was the year after when James Hurd and um, Matthew Lloyd were at their peak. Essen had won a premiership. Um, they couldn't fit both of them in. And uh, don't worry about what the money was, but let's just say James wanted 600 and, and uh, Matthew wanted 500, but they could only afford like 300. So what I did was register jamesherd.com.au and matthewlloyd.com.au and I sold both the domain names to the footy club for 400000 
And the AFL went into hysterics. You can't do that. And I said, I can do that. It's quite within the rules. A year after they created a thing called additional services, if you did things like that, you have to register them now and it comes under the salary cap. So it was quite inventive. Um, I think I did something similar with Matthew Richardson at Richmond. And of all people, Nick Daffy, who just won the best and fairest around that time, I think. Speaking of Richo, is he, he's obviously still someone you keep in contact with. Uh, what's your relationship like with him? And have you got any good stories on him, the big man? Look, I I know people probably say this all the time that he's the best bloke and he's a great guy, but there's just when I was going through hell, absolute hell, he rang me all the time and said, "How are you, mate? I'm just ringing to see if you're all right. Can I take you out for lunch? Is there anything I can do?" And and like, whilst there was a few others that did that, there's a lot that disappoint me who now ring me up going, "Oh, good to see you back on track." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, you didn't ring me when I was down. When I looked after you, when you would you'd stack your car into a baby's tram one day, and I went and went to the scene and rescued you, you know things like that." Matthew Richardson is the best bloke on and off the field, probably along with Doug Hawkins. They're very similar. Um, they're always you know proactive about contacting you, not the other way around. And you know I can't speak more highly of uh, Matthew Richardson. He's just I'm just so pleased he's got a family now, a little baby, and just to see the tears in his eye. On grand final day, I must admit, I got a tear in my eye feeling for him. It was just an amazing emotional feeling. Yeah, you could see it meant a lot to him. And I suppose all Richmond people were wrapped that he was the one chosen to present the cup if we were to win. Um, and yeah, just to see him do the fist pump walking off the stage, he just couldn't help himself. He just, he just wears his heart in his sleeve. Yeah, no, just an absolute sensational point. And have there been, I'm sure there has been, but have there been many clubs or plays along the way that you found it difficult with? I think I get that asked ask that question a lot. Um, I think that I didn't really find um, a lot of clubs difficult. I, I've seen a revolving door of clubs like Hawthorne who've been great all the way through, even through their bad years, yet someone like Brisbane, when they were winning and they were winning premierships were just unbelievable, but then their good staff left and they went through a decline and they were hard to deal with and you know didn't have money to play players and things like that, but... Um, there wasn't any particular player that stood out that I would say was difficult. I always had the view that everyone was different. Um, James Heard, very different to Wayne Carey. I used to say if there was a brick wall between where Wayne and James were standing and a football on the other side, who would get to it first? And the answer is they'd both get there at the same time. Wayne Carey had crashed the brick wall down and James Heard would think his way around it. So everyone's different. Fair enough. Um, and I suppose one thing that a lot of people on the outside don't understand the process of how it all works is when a player is wanting to move clubs, how does that work in terms of the process of approaching the other club and how early does that happen? Because it obviously must happen well before trade week because things don't just happen like this in a matter of a week's space. So how does the build-up happen to that? Yeah, most clubs would meet with me on a pretty regular basis. The one that I found didn't meet with me on a regular basis for 10 years was Carlton. And where did they finish for the last 20 years? Um, but yet the clubs like Hawthorne and Geelong in particular, um, Sydney, um, those clubs would meet with me every second or third week. Ricky, let's just go for lunch, buy your lunch. You know, what's going on? Which players are happy, which aren't happy? You know, who do you think would move? Smart by them. Smart to get me on side, I suppose, to some degree. I mean, it never affected my negotiations, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's the ones that network the best. Um, they're, they're the ones, and they're the ones that at the moment, you know, I can talk to them and they know I'm not going to make something public uh, that would damage what they're doing. And when managers approach clubs, I'll, I'll use the Richmond one for example. So when Ralph Carr was dealing with Richmond, would he have known how much money we had in our cap to know how far he could push that deal? Yes and no. Um, probably 
this is not, uh, what would you say, um, a criticism of Ralph, but Ralph's got one player. Um, I had, you know, 60 of the best in the competition, so you had a good feel for what other players were on at other clubs more. Um, Ralph uh, would have would have been told by Neil Baum. Neil Baum, in my view, is uh, Richmond supporters will be interested in this. When Neil Baum was recruited by Richmond, I said they will finish in the top eight. That's how much I hold him in high regard. Not for negotiation skills, not for football management. He is the best man manager in the AFL. He knows how to handle egos. He knows how to handle um, disputes, negotiation. He knows how to pump up Trent Cochran to get him to be the best captain in the competition. And, you know, a lot of credit's got to go to Neil Baum. He's been absolutely sensational. Yeah, we loved having him back. I think a lot of us were hoping for that to come come through when he signed back up. And, yeah, it's paid off brilliantly. Yeah, um, absolutely. When managing the plays, obviously they would have received a lot of outside offers that weren't related to the football club. Do you get them built into the contract or do you try and keep them separate? Um, well, it just depends if there's, you know, if they're opposition to sponsors at the, in the AFL or the club, then there's rules in place to stop that. Um, but you can present certain deals to the AFL for approval. Um, look, people would be surprised about the deals at the Wayne Carey. Wayne Carey was earning... $1.5 million in 2000. He was earning $1 million on the field and 500000 off, which was made up of a Nike contract worth about one fifty from memory, um, Foxtel deals, you name it. Fast forward to 2018, the number one player in the game would be Dustin Martin or Patrick Dangerfield. How many endorsements did you see them running around with? They don't have a Foxtel deal. They, don't have a, they might have a Puma Raditas deal worth thirty grand. Um, because things have changed in that area. But, um, you know, the marketing of the players by both the clubs, and, and let's let's also throw in here that they're training six days a week now. Back in 2000, they are probably training three times a week. So there's all those sort of things to consider as well. But the deals, um, I believe, the agents haven't uh, come up creatively with great marketing ideas. I mean, I created Pig Jimmy Ruboy, which was um, Wayne Carey, James Hurd, and Jason Dunstall, the first ever... Um, radio show t- uh, simulcast on TV and shown on the and on the internet in Australia ever, and that but the boys were getting a hundred grand out of that. Now there's none of that happening now because the clubs themselves have got so many podcasts and uh, digital stuff as well. Yeah, there's a lot of restrictions these days. If you were still in the game now, which current player, maybe we'll say besides Dusty, do you think you would love to manage, and how would you add more value to him? Oh, that's a really simple answer for me. The number one player in the game, to me, um, is Joe Danaher. Uh, key forward, takes big marks, can kick big goals. His kicking's not great at the moment. Essendon on the way up. If I was backing a racehorse to be the next Winks, Joe Danaher, maybe closely followed by Ben Brown at North Melbourne. Um, doesn't matter what you do in any sport, and boxing's a good example. We all like watching the heavyweights, not the flyweights. So it's the big boys who crash packs, take the marks. I mean, Dustin's pretty good at it, um, but he doesn't take speckies, Dustin. He's more uh, at the ground level, you know, don't argue, which he does brilliantly. I, I would I, I would love to see Melbourne Storm make a $3 million offer to Dustin and him to seriously consider it. I reckon he'd be a star. No, well, I wouldn't. And neither would the 75. <laughs> no, if, if anyone could convert to do that, it would be him. Just his strength, just to push people aside. It, it would be interesting to watch, but maybe uh, maybe after he finishes with Richmond. <laughs> um, it's funny. Uh, when he was at the Bendigo Pioneers, Ray Byrne, who was a good friend of mine, who was a manager up there, he would give me some insight into players to recruit. And, um, you know, I managed Dustin in his first three or four years before the, you know, what is the fan. 
And um, I remember, I'll never forget Ray calling, and Ray would never overrate a player. He'd say, look, he's going to be a good player, maybe 100 games. But he said, I think we've got the next Wayne Carey here. He said, I'm just going to show you some video. Tell me what you think. And all I saw in that five-minute video was Dusty give the don't argue about 50 times, I reckon. I'm like, oh, my God, can someone just tackle him, please? Uh, he's a freak. I think he was doing that even playing in the seniors um, down his hometown. Basically under 14 level, they say that he was doing the don't argue. It was just, it's just natural. He grabs the footy and he pushes off. It's just something that, that's unique and he's very good at it and he's got such body strength. He definitely does. Uh, now, the, an interesting situation that popped up for us uh, was the Chris Yaron situation. And I'll just start off by saying that we're all obviously wrapped that he's doing well now as per his video. From a, a trade perspective, is there, what's the sort of process there when someone knows that he's got, I suppose, issues off the field? Is there, do they have to tell the other club or, because, you know, both parties feel like they were burnt at some stage. What's the, the protocol there? I think the media hype is, is just crap because at the end of the day, um, the player comes to training late or the player's not feeling well or not playing well and he's, your club says, what, what are you doing? What are you doing wrong? And they are you doing drugs? Are you drinking? Are you gambling? The player says no or he says not that much or yes, I have, but I'll stop straight away. You don't actually see what people do. It's like most people have an opinion that they know everything I've done in my life but yet no one's seen it. I mean, same with anybody who's listening to this is, you know, when anyone asks you what you're doing, if you've got an addiction – you generally say not as much as you think or not that much. And in Chris Yannon's case, I know that Mark Williams spoke with him a lot and knew probably um, what he was doing. But uh, the, what do you do when the tests are positive? And, you know, Ben Cousins' situation was very, very similar. I would ask Ben all the time, mate, I keep hearing you're doing this and that. No, I'm not. No, I'm not, Ricky. I'm not. I'm not. No positive tests, just always being late and tired and everything at training. And that, like I said, we, we are glad that Yas is back on track as well. Um, I look terrible addiction that every weekend I go and speak at footy clubs. It's affecting country and suburban footy clubs massively, and I hate it. Um, you know, my brother, who's a senior detective 10 years ago, said on Christmas Day, if we don't legalise some drugs like marijuana and cocaine, this ice will take over the world. And I said, mate, you're an idiot. And now I'm thinking he was right. Yeah, it's, it's a hot topic, and I'm, I'm not sure there's an exact solution to it, but... It is. It's getting out of control really quickly. Um, I've heard you talk about a few times how individual, I suppose, accolades help play a part with incentives on contracts. Dusty, for example, winning the Brownlow, um, all Australian, all that kind of stuff. How how much does that get factored into players' contracts? Uh, at the, um, I suppose, it's icing on the cake at a at a superstars level. You wouldn't have a superstars contract that doesn't have a best and fairest Brownlow, probably. Um, uh, premiership or Final Four type incentive clause in it, uh, which would roll over into the next year. Um, I mean, I did it with coaches. <laughs> Port Adelaide stupidly signed Mark Williams on a contract in July that said if he wins the Premiership, he gets a new contract worth a million dollars, da-da-da-da-da. At that stage, they were just going okay. Never did they dream in their wildest dreams they'd win a Premiership, a bit like Richmond this year. If you said it in July, Damien Hardwick would get a million-dollar bonus for winning the Premiership. You would think it would be 2018, 19, 20. But then he comes and wins one six or eight weeks later. Um, that was probably the most clever deal I did that I didn't know was clever. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I'm sure you've uh, had a few run-ins with some journos along the way. What are your thoughts on how the journos these days um, tackle topics? I mean, I feel like they're very invasive now. I mean, I look at Steve-O going to New Zealand to wait for Dusty. Oh, I thought that yeah. was a bit extreme. Is that what you think as well? Or? I haven't got a lot of time for them, and, uh, you know, that's not to do with what happened to me. It's to do with credibility and respect. Um, for families and for players, I mean, some of the invasion into Ben Cousins' life and where it's affected his family, um, what I've seen happen to other players, um, you know, they, they, the, I just can't believe the AFL doesn't um, protect its media accreditation a lot more. If you want to write absolute garbage lies that say are from a source and everything, we'll take away their media accreditation. Don't allow them to participate in our game. Show some respect for the players the clubs, the coaches, and everybody else associated because, the, you know, you only got to look at Twitter. Is these fake names that just put up deals and people, because it sounds sexy that, um, you know, um, Dyson Heppel might be traded from Essendon for Jake Stringer, everyone cuts loose and spreads it and shares it. It's just a load of garbage. And is it a matter of time before a player decides to sue a media outlet for writing complete garbage? Have you ever heard of anyone coming close? Well, the problem in Australia is is the um, laws uh, only allow, or used to, only allow for a claim of up to 250000 Most media organisations, that's why I tried to sue the Herald Sun and was advised that they will just uh, appeal it and it will cost you 200 thousand just to go to the Supreme Court. So the laws in Australia um, about defamation are absolutely bloody ridiculous, but... Having said that, I just noticed recently that girl, a comedian, um, the Bond girl, can't think of her name. Um, she uh, sued and got seven million, didn't she? So maybe it's time to maybe it's time to take on the Herald Sun. Yeah, and that's kind of what sort of made me bring it up because Rebel Wilson. So it was good that she took it to him and, uh, and and won out. So hopefully that changes because, like you say, players shouldn't have to be subject to to crap written about him. And even the the Essendon saga when James Heard, like being on his doorstep, he's got his kids trying to go to school and stuff like that. Like there's just no need for it. The way Caroline Wilson conducts herself is an absolute disgrace. Um, you know, the way she spoke about James Heard and James Heard's daughter, um, I know that a lot of people in the footy community were up in arms about it and just wanted to get rid of her out of the system. But um, unfortunately, you know, she's protected by whoever else in the AFL. And, you know, I just think that they don't have much credibility at all, journos. Now, the older journos, the Trevor Grants of this world, or to a certain degree, the Mike Sheens, they had certain respect in the industry from players and managers, but I doubt any journal in AFL, I'm not saying they're disrespected, but some of them are disrespected, but not all of them. Um, you know, some like Mark Stevens, you mentioned him before going to New Zealand, but I find Steve-O pretty good and, you know, a number of the TV journalists, it's more the newspaper gossip columnist type ones. Um, and do, do player managers use journos as a mouthpiece sometimes just to drive up the value of their clients and when it comes to negotiations? used to. I don't see it much now. I'm not sure they wield the power that they used to because um, there's 150 agents and the players are spread across, whereas when probably the 90s and early 2000s, there was probably only three or four key agents. Um, I certainly used it to my advantage at times um, in return for favours back the other way, um, but it's not a prevalent thing. And you obviously released your book, My Side, back in 2016. How important was it for you to make sure that people had a chance to hear your side of the story? Oh, look, it was something that uh, was three years in the making. I was going to do it. I wasn't going to do it. I was going to do it. It came down to my wife and kids and what they wanted to do. And they got to the point where they were sick of 
the haters on social media, the rumors, the innuendo. It was important for me to get my book out and get the message out there, and it's been a massive hit. Um, every weekend, probably for 18 months, I'm booked out every weekend, going around footy clubs around Australia. And I love it. I love the local footy. I love meeting people. Um, and, you know, people outside of Melbourne, to some degree, are, to me, they, they always come up and go, look, Ricky, we all make mistakes. You know, we've, we, I've done far worse. The amount of women who say to me, I've done far worse. It's quite funny sometimes. Um, but it's, the messages in my book and uh, what I speak about are not about me. It's about what my wife and kids did for me. I mean, when your son sends you an email and says, I lost my dad, I lost my footy coach and my heart is broken, I was shattered. And um, what this kid had been through, I went round to visit my wife and um, my son, Mitch, who, who, as I said, had been through hell and back. He hadn't spoken for about a year and I decided to put myself into rehab in um, a mental health hospital in Queensland and um, I needed $30,000 or private health insurance and I just lost $7 million. That's how much it's cost me. And um, I didn't have private health insurance. I stopped paying it up six months before that. And I, I rang my wife, Jude, and said, look, I've got to go to this hospital, but I haven't got 30 grand. I haven't got private health insurance. She said, you have. I said, no, I haven't. She said, you have. I've been paying it for six months because I knew this day was coming. I drove around to the house just to thank her. And Mitch was there. And I said, Mitch, is there anything I can do for you? And he wouldn't answer. And I said, Mitch, he was looking down at the table, please, is there anything I can do for you? And he looked up and this will haunt me till the day I die. He said, yep. I just want my dad back. All I want is my dad back. And I think, oh. And I tell that story every Saturday night. And the um, people who come up to me who are affected by what I say and they've been doing things that perhaps haven't been great for their family or they've been cheating or drinking or gambling and that, I, I actually – get a fair bit out of um, making, you know, helping them, I suppose. Absolutely. And was the rehab was obviously a big step for you to get through all of this because you obviously went through some pretty dark times. Was there any other steps that you needed to take to make sure you come out the other side all okay? Um, I think the biggest challenge for me has been, um, you know, the loss of everything that you had and not going back. I mean, you still do. It's only natural. But, um, you know, there's times I sit there going, why did you do that? But I can't change it, and that's just me. You know, at the end of the day, I do things. I'm an adrenaline junkie. I'm a risk taker. That's what made me successful, and I guess I've got the faith that, you know, I'll, I'll have a few good years coming up before I just stick to the plan and, it's, you know, make sure your sons know that you're treading the right tracks and doing the right things and getting out in the community and things like that. And you're definitely you're back on the scene now, and it is great to have you back and, and everything's going well for you. So the how to be a sports agent... Um, online sort of course, how that all come about and how's it all going for you? Yeah, it's been great. This year I've really enjoyed it because there's been this big turn this year. I know Max Marks and the big PR expert in Sydney caught, caught up with me probably six months after everything went crazy and said, mate, I've got, I want to give you some advice. Sit down and listen. I know it's going to be hard to hear, but this is what I have to say. It's going to take you five for six years to get back. I said, what? It'll take me five months. He goes, I'm sorry, it doesn't, mate. The public in Australia love to kick the you-know-what out of high-profile people and kick you to you down. And after five or six years, they go, oh, what have we done? Are you all right? You know, can we help you back? So back to the course is, um, you know, I started doing the course again about three years ago. But what I've noticed this year is a lot of people wanting to know about trades and wanting to know about doing management and the inside. And I actually get a great thrill out of training and educating and coaching people now. I mean, everybody wants me, even people at the AFL, to go back to player management, but I can't. I never will after the way I was treated. 
And um, it's just you got to find new mountains to climb. And if anyone listening to this has got some challenges mental health-wise or addiction at the moment, the key to it is simple. You've got to change what you're doing and get out of bed the next day and look for new exciting mountains to climb because if you keep doing what you're doing, it's only going to end one way. Yeah, that's great advice there. Um, the other new one you've launched as well, My Footy Agent, I think this one's fascinating. It's in simple terms, it sounds like it's basically a dating website, like a matchmaker thing for clubs and players around the country. It comes down to this. If I went back to player management, I always say there's no way I'm going to have coffees with players and buying Brownlow dresses for their girlfriends and tickets to the tennis. So I come up with the idea for country and suburban footy, which ironically I'm just relaunching tonight in a new way, um, which is footy clubs are patiently waiting for my email in the next hour, is you go online, you, you pay a subscription of $350, as a footy club, it gives you unlimited recruiting for the year. What you do is you type in Ruckman, and all the Ruckman come up around Australia that are on my website, and there's a lot of them. And um, you then uh, contact me with the name of the player you wish to speak to, and I give them the phone number due to privacy laws. And, um, yeah, it's going really well. I'm enjoying it. I love dealing with country and suburban football. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant idea. So the clubs are always trying to find new recruits, and that's just opened up a whole, whole other option for them. And the Footy Factory, I think you spoke about earlier, so organising ex-AFL players to play in one-off games, you must get a good feel out of that as well, and so must the locals. Yeah, it's like, it sounds like a broken record here, but I don't seem to be good at coming up with ideas. It's more once the initial idea happens, I'm very good at making it into a very good idea. And Well, this all started was Daniel Kerr, the West Coast Eagles player, rang me late last year and said, I want to try and play a couple of games of football, you know, and get you know some money in because I'm broke and, you know, I'm... I'm got some drug issues and all that sort of thing. And I said, mate, I'm happy to help you, but I'm not going to judge you. I've read the newspapers. I've seen the TV. You have to make the effort to come and see me in Melbourne, and I'll give it serious consideration. So he flew over here, and I'll never forget the day I saw him because he changed my view on a lot of things as well. And when I saw Daniel, he was shaking and sweating, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying. And I said, I looked at him and went, oh, my God, here we go. And um, I said, what's up, mate? What's wrong? He goes, I'm just feeling really anxious. And I said, why? And he said, because I think you'll reject me. And if you do reject me, um, I've got no, nothing else to do in my life. And I said, well, mate, just I'll give you three minutes. It's like the 90-second rule when I said to Wayne Carey, tell me the truth. Tell me, mate, what you did wrong. And he went bang, 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 bang. I went, stop, stop. I believe you. And I've never known a kid who's so honest in his life. He just told me some stuff that blew me away. And I said, I'll give it a go. That night, I put on Facebook um, that he was available for games, and in the space of 24 hours, there's only 14 Saturdays before June 30 cutoff of clearances, he got 14 clubs booked him and booked me as well to speak, and we had 137 clubs on the wait list. And I went, wow, this this is Daniel's idea to play this game. I never dreamt that it would be my saviour in respect to. But then what happened and what developed in the first two weeks is we went out to these footy clubs. We got there at lunchtime. Daniel got changed, went to play. The girls' footy team would be playing. I'd go out and speak to them and give them a chat about football. And then the junior footy clubs would be on the other over. You'd go and take a clinic with them. Then you have past player reunions and I'd do a bit of a might be do a bit of a chat with them or a comedy show. And then that night we do a big sportsman's night and hang around for the night. So it's became a massive hit. Barry Hall played out at the Basin. And there were 6,000 people turned up paying $10. That's $60,000. Um, throw in that another 30 or 40 grand. They made some very, very big money, the Basin Football Club. But he's unique, Barry Hall. He's, uh, he's a massive draw card because of his, you know, his, his reputation. 
I'm not sure if you're responsible for this one as well, but at our way, uh, Favola played a game for Nary Warren one year, and the turnout was enormous, and the money you make on the bar alone is, is worth its weight in gold. Yeah, well, Brendan, um, I guess, look, Brendan wasn't first to do this because AFL players have been going back to their old clubs, you know, forever. But Brendan turned it into, um, and he's a good friend of mine, Brendan, and he, he made it this sideshow, you know, because he was in the media, he, he was a celebrity, and he plays full forward. And the lesson I've learned this year, because Daniel Kerr played probably half the games in the field and that, is play these players at full forward because they're way smarter than the other players. Usually they're way stronger. You know, they know where the ball's going. They're going to kick four to ten goals, no doubt. And yeah, that's what the crowd Bar- wants to see. Yeah, that's what the crowd wants to see. So Barry and Brendan are the most successful financially for these clubs, although Daniel Kerr did a pretty good job this year. And some other players, Campbell Brown and Russell Robinson's fantastic. He, he still takes Becky's. He, he's amazing. Um, this year has been the biggest names retire ever in the history of the game. But, you know, whilst clubs are bashing my door down trying to get players for next year, I think most like Luke Hodge is playing in Brisbane. Nick Rewalt won't play any of these games, I believe. Um, Bob Murphy, maybe. Um, the one I wanted was Stevie Johnson because he's a consummate entertainer. Um, but uh, Stevie just got an assistant coaching job at Sydney, so it's making it pretty tough for my talent <laughs> next There's definitely a long list to pick from this year. Uh, before we get into some trade stuff, I just want to go on to Dusty Martin again. He obviously rejected quite a big offer from North Melbourne, and I'm pretty sure you come out and said that by staying a one-club player, he'll definitely recoup that, that difference along the way. With all the accolades he's won this year, he's obviously going to go fairly close to making up that difference in a very short amount of time, isn't he? Oh, look, in my mind, he's probably made it up already. Um, winning the Brownlow, the memorabilia that will come with that, the premiership stuff. I mean, I know, you know... I'll be careful what I say, but I'm seeing Ralph Carr next week, and I've probably got $100,000 of stuff for him already. It's up to him if he wants to do them. I mean, so that, that difference with the North Melbourne offer is nothing. It's now just a – it's actually 500 less than what he'll get over 10 years because when he retires, every Richmond supporter is going to love him. Every person who's a businessman and wealthy will get behind him. Um, he's going to be an icon at Richmond forever. Um last six weeks. And the last one before we get on to the trade stuff, and I know you can't say much about this, but you've caught up with Benny Cousins recently, just because he's got that Richmond background as well. Is he going well? Is his health all right? Uh, look, I was pleased. I saw Ben about four or five weeks ago, and, um, you know, look, he, he's got a long road ahead of him. Um, it's no hidden secret that uh, what he's been doing, and um, uh, it mightn't sound great, but the best thing for Ben is probably where Ben is now and staying there for a bit longer because um, not being in public takes away the temptation and other things. And, um, you know, he's he's finding it difficult, um, the loneliness and everything else in there. But at the end of the day, it was probably the last roll of the dice because I genuinely feared for what the next public uh, problem was going to be. And, um, you know, I... I I can't say much more than that, other than everybody um, hopes, and we like you know Richmond supporters and West Coast Eagles supporters and football supporters in general that you know Ben can come back and shine in the next few years. Absolutely, yeah, we do definitely wish him all the best and hope he gets back on track. All right, we'll move into the trade stuff. This is your hitting zone. You've been very active on Twitter with all your tweets, and you tell it how it is, all truth, none of this made-up bullshit. So, what kind of trade news do you expect to happen in uh, in the coming days? Oh, look, I think the big ones in the next 24 hours, the big one that's come up today is, as I know, Geelong have got a very strong interest in um, uh, Jack Watts. 
Um, I think they know, and most people know, they fell down this year because of a lack of another forward with, with Hawkins that could hit up at the football. They had sort of slower, you know, power-marking type players a bit. Um, Essendon's been the interesting one. They've been the most active so far. Doesn't mean they will be in 10 days' time when trade week finishes. But um, Stringer, Devin Smith from Greater Western Sydney, and Adam Sade from Gold Coast Suns, who wants to return home to Melbourne for family reasons, they could all possibly indicate tomorrow that they want to go to Essendon, which creates a very interesting situation with the picks that they've got, uh, whether they'd be prepared to trade it. And I'm only throwing these guys' names up. I don't know if they would, but Zach Merritt or a Langford or someone like that, younger players there that they've already put some development into. Um, you know, some of the other clubs, Richmond, of course, people will want to know what's going on there. Look, Richmond have got three possible father-sons in the next few years coming through. Broderick, Nash, I can't think of who the third one is. Uh, Lambert, is it? Um, yeah, yeah, Lambert, yeah. Yeah, like I've seen the whole three of them play. Outstanding young players. Doesn't not say they're going to be 250 young players. They have to consider that. They have to consider draft picks. Um, if I was Richmond, I wouldn't. And they got ser- they're going to have serious salary cap problems the next few years. So they don't have any superstars about to retire like Geelong or Hawthorne do every couple of years. So um, they've got to be considerate of the players they're developing. Look, don't forget, they've got a BFL team that probably should have been premiers as well. Um, so for Richmond, I know they had some interest in Sachi from um, uh, Brisbane, but I believe he's now decided to return to Brisbane. Um, and I think they originally had some interest, or I don't think they did, in Jack Watts, but that was before they won the premiership, and they've now seen a functional forward line, um, and hence, uh, I think they'll just go back to the draft, Richmond, and, and just rely on draft picks. And the other big one was um, Jake Lever, obviously nominated to go to Melbourne. D- do you buy into the reports about the Adelaide Leadership Group being a bit shitty about that and asking for him to be dropped and all that kind of stuff? Um, well, my understanding is that they did, um, and that the captain did. Um, you know, he hasn't come out and denied it. That um, I can understand. Tex, I'm a Tex Walker fan. I can understand his um, angst at what was happening. Uh, but you know, it probably created a rift right when they didn't need it. It's not why they lost the grand final. Why they'd fly to Queensland for a couple of days, fly back to Adelaide, then fly to Melbourne and play in the grand final is just defies belief. Uh, everyone in the sporting world knows flying is the worst thing for you if you've got to play sport, whereas Richmond didn't go anywhere. So, um, yeah, the Lever one is, is certainly called disharmony. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about Sloan wanting out, but probably at the end of next year. Um, people of Adelaide have said to me, what, what's chicken? What's, um, what's going on over there? And all I can see is that whilst they're a very good team and deservedly finished top of the ladder, they seem to me to be a team of individuals a bit. Whereas you look at Richmond this year, what a great team they were. Even little things I picked up on Trent Koch and saying, oh, I took the young blokes for coffee the other day or went around to so-and-so's house or really staying with the coach. You think, wow, this team really gelled, really gelled. With the, I suppose, disharmony, obviously in the NRL, they're pretty open about the moving to a different club, even during the year, and they still play out the rest of the season at the current club. Is that something that we should look to go towards or are you not a fan of that? I'm not a fan of that at all. I think it, it's not good for the game. I, I don't want to see, um, I don't, I don't want to see, you know, players like Dustin Martin saying in June or July, I'm off to Adelaide, and they play. You play Adelaide in the grand final. I don't think anyone wants to see that in AFL. Um, I think the free agency itself, to be honest, when it came in, I was an agent. Every agent in the world loves free agency. I told the AFL it'll stuff the game if you don't get it right. 
Um, there was the least amount of free agent move this year. I forecast that back in March as well, only because my view was it was going to be a very even season. So why, as a free agent, would you leave when every club you're at? There's not really a club that didn't show something apart from probably Collingwood based on reputation. But even Brisbane and Carlton showed some great young kids during the year and some great form. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me who wins it next year, that's for sure. All right, I'll throw a few other names at you for trade speculation. Tom Lynch. Have you heard anything with him? Yeah, look, I mean, every club's into him, um, but, you know, he's got a year to run on a contract and he's not leaving this week sort of thing. Um, the decision will be made during next year. He'll be the Dustin Martin of 2018. Uh, but our key the answer this year, I thought Jack Rewalt was terrific with the way he went about his game this year when he was so used to being a hit up at the footy mark and kick a goal guy. His defensive work, especially in the first quarter of the grand final, I thought was terrific. Um, so... I wouldn't be getting too excited about the lynches of this world. Um, my belief is that the Ruck Rover type, uh, the Fifes, um, the Dangerfields and Martins for that, they're going forward and kicking goals. They've become the number one players in the game, not the key forwards. Yeah. Um, Bryce Gibbs, is he going to get back to Adelaide? He could be trying again. Oh, another player that perhaps, you know, to me stands out as an individual, not a team-orientated player. And it's ironic that the club that wants to recruit him is getting a reputation for that, so... You know, that's no no um, slight on Rice as a player. I think he's a terrific player. I thought he was very good this year team-wise, but it sort of just says a bit about you, I reckon, when you want to go home to the club, you, you know, where you're from. Um, but, you know, good luck to him. He might prove me wrong. And any other hidden bombshells that no one knows about yet? Are you going to go bang? <laughs> well, you should have given me a hint that you wanted one, and I could have thought of that one. <laughs> Look, certainly the, the Essendon one tomorrow is a big one, but you know, most people are over it anyway. Look, I get the feeling there's going to be a surprise player. I'm not saying I know that this will be this player, but let me give you an example. Is Geelong, if they offered up Tom Hawkins to get Ablett, um, to get Stringer, to get Watts there, you do it. You do it these days. And, um, you know, they've had two disastrous years when they probably could have won the premiership. They've gone out in very ordinary fashion, so they need to do a shake-up because they certainly... Um, so I think there'll be some clubs offer up the Delidio type of deal. That's a good way to compare it. And people go, what? No way, we can't exchange Delidio. I thought it was the most brilliant when I heard about it and I was asked for my opinion. Um, he said, you know, I thought it was the best move Richard had ever done. And I liked Lids and he's a great player, but... They needed to do that to clean out and get bring in Caddy and Prestia. And when they got Caddy and Prestia, I went, guess what? Martin and Cochin can now play their natural games, and sure enough, they did. And Gary Ablett, is that just a formality to get back to Geelong? Oh, look, I think so, but I do know that it's very divided down there. Um, no, no one's um, disrespectful or doesn't want Gary, but some believe it is it the right thing to bring in a 33-year-old going on 34 when you're trying to get games into these young kids who aren't getting enough games now, which cost them in the finals. I mean, that's the thing. Geelong kept bringing kids in and out all year. Richmond just kept playing their kids like Rioli and Lambert and Vast and all those sort of players. And, you know, it showed in the end that you have to do it that way. So, you know, if Gary can have an impact up forward, which I do got no doubt he can, beside Hawkins, and they get Watts, well, they'll be pretty formidable. Let's not forget the... They played in the preliminary final the last two years. Absolutely. Now, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And before we let you go, you're obviously back on the scene. What are your plans going forward? What's your big, big adventure in the full world? Um, the biggest thing that I'm working on, I actually had a big meeting on it today, and AF, AFL Victoria have had a board meeting where they've discussed it, is 
22-year-old kid, Callum Dodson, um, got cancer at Chelsea Heights Footy Club this year. It was He was one of 13 in the last 10 years to get this type of cancer in the world. It's um, It was staggering, shocked everyone, his friends, his family, his teammates. I was asked to host a fundraiser for him. Um, and I wanted to come up with something that would um, raise money but be fun and people would get around. So I came up with this idea of kick for cancer where you have to kick a football 30 metres into a wheelie bin, like a hole-in-one, and you pay and the money goes towards the charity. What I want to do and hope to do, and I'm, I'm very up and about, is to get kick for cancer to be played at every footy club around Australia within five years on a National Cancer Day. So every club participates. Half the money stays with the club to go and assist people with cancer around the club, etc. or anyone that they feel the rest of the money goes back into the foundation to distribute for research and to nominated um, people or whatever. So, um, you know, I, I've always spent my life helping people. Um, it's got to be about others, not about you. No, it's a very worthy cause and we really hope it takes off and hopefully you can share all the information and everyone can jump on board. Um, finally, you're obviously doing your public appearances. If anyone's interested, what's the best way they can contact you? Uh, the best way to contact me is, believe it or not, life's changed, isn't it? Everything's by Facebook these days. So you can contact me by Facebook. I've got two accounts, Ricky Nixon or Ricky L. Nixon. Um, or you can uh, em- uh, email me at info at rickynixon.com.au. Um, already got a lot of cricket clubs lined up for over the summer, so I'm looking forward to that, including a few golf days. So anyone who's interested in that. Or I'm doing a lot of business chats now, going out and speaking to biz- businesses, um, at staff meetings and stuff about when you actually make a mistake, how you can rebound, be positive, get out there and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I love it. Very good. Well, Ricky, thank you so much for your time. It's great to see you back up on your feet and in good health and all that kind of stuff. And we really appreciate your time coming on. Thanks very much, Chris. And go the Tigers. Go Tigers. See you, mate. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Richmond Big Footy Tiger Cast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and YouTube so you can follow all the roasts and toasts, the reviews and previews, and all topics Richmond. Also keep an ear out for our special episodes of interviews with past players. Go Tigers!